Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be continuing our series. As you see on the screen, it says, The Secrets of Joy. We're going to be focusing on the first 11 verses of chapter 2. And we're going to be calling this sermon, On the Job Training. On the Job Training. Now, when we opened up this sermon series, uh, the Philippians chapter 1, we did Our Family Business. So we found out that as we have been raised up in the family of God and you know, God is our father and we have been indoctrinated into that. We're also in the family business. Now we're going to be walking through what is that family business? What is our training? And so we're going to see that Jesus Christ is our, not only a model for our belief, but also a model for our behavior. Philippians chapter two, a lot of people have tried to put it out there like, this is who I am because this is what I believe. But I want you to notice this is more about behavior than it is about belief. This is how you are to conduct yourself while you are being trained in the job. And what are we being trained for? We are being trained to be professionals in these areas, joy and humility. Joy and humility. I just want to ask you this question right now. Is anybody here considering themselves part of the family of God? Raise your hand. Okay, put your hands down. We're going to ask this question. Who believes that the Lord is continuing the good work that he started in chapter one and will continue for the rest of your life? So let's get to work in verse 1 of chapter 2. As we go through, I want you to notice the conditional word if as we go through this. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and if you have any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Interesting verse coming from Paul, because Paul is the one who initially, before he was uh, you know, considered the man that wrote the, the two-thirds of the New Testament, he was a man named Saul of Tarsus, and he was going around, he thought he was aligned with God, right? And what did he do? He was pursuing and murdering Christians, and so he thought, oh, there I am, I'm doing the will of the Lord. I, in in the, my scope, I think I'm doing great. But then Jesus met him on the way to Damascus, right? And said, by the way, we're going to recalibrate what you think my calling is in your life. And look at the new man and what he writes. If you have encouragement and unity, if you have comfort from his love, if you're common and sharing in spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... When he was killing Christians, he didn't have any tenderness of compassion, right? But when the Lord poured his love and he joined his spirit to Jesus Christ, what did he become? He became the man that wrote Philippians. And he had to be of one mind with the Lord. So we have to focus on that word unity because it's conditional. If we find unity with God, what does that word unity look like? It's really close to a word called university. We've heard that word before, right? You know, there's colleges and universities. I'm going to break down that word for you. Unity and university are very close in this way. It's unity through diversity. Unity through diversity. I want you to look around the room right now. Did God make a spicy pot of diversity in this room today? I mean, just look around, right? I mean, don't be afraid. Look, these are all your brothers and sisters of Christ. Make eye contact. It's okay. God chose you as much as he chose them, Right? So you have to see inside of this room, everybody here has maybe a different starting point. Maybe people have different background. Maybe we have church hurts. Some don't have church hurts. Some had a great upbringing. Some have been damaged by their parents. And yet we are all here for one reason. Why? We are reaching higher to heavenly places through the unity in the spirit of Jesus Christ. 
It doesn't matter what our starting point is. It matters where our ending point is. And by grace, we are all ending in Christ. And that is what we're seeing here. So it's university, uh, so that's unity through diversity. But I want to also focus on that word, versity. Well, it's close to varsity. We've heard that word before. It's actually close to a word like company or guilt. So we are in the company or guild. We are unified in the company or guild of Christ. And what is Christ about? Well, you look at those first two verses. Christ is about being one in spirit with the Lord. Christ is about tenderness and compassion. Having the same spirit in mind as the Lord. I want you to see how that is conditional to being a part of the family. Look at John chapter one on the screen. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So for you to be in the family of God, you have to receive that invitation to the Lord. The invitation is there. For God so loved the world, he came for everyone, the whole world, right? That none should perish, right? That's everybody in this room. And so if we receive it, now we're in the family. I remember one time I was working um, at a place, it was called Explorations. It was like Discovery Zone, um, if any of you guys know that. It's like ball pits and playgrounds for indoor for kids. And it was really a crazy job for me to get as a teenager, but I was put in charge of the cooks. I was in charge of the hot dogs. It was an esteemed honor as I was 16 years old. But I remember the first day on the job, they gave us this uniform. And just, you know, the uniform was a little corny. It was like a whale uniform. Like I had to put on a hat that had a whale tail and all that. But I remember this kid next to me said, I'm not wearing that. And he left. And he left. He goes, I'm not wearing that. You know, in, in the world of Christianity, in the kingdom of God, we can be that same way. We could say that we want to be Christian, but until we receive the righteousness of God, which also means we receive the compassion of God, we'll never receive the rewards. He never got a paycheck. I did. That kid that left, he never got a paycheck. I did. If you are in this room today, for you to be a Christian, you have to work in the, wor- in the world, in the field that Jesus is working. And he's working in a place of tenderness and compassion. That's what happens when we join the family business. When you look at that verse on the screen, our old business is gone. What you were before, that is not what you are now. We are saved by Jesus Christ. And so when the old us is dead and buried in the tomb and the new us has been resurrected, and that is why we have to follow our resurrected Savior. We don't know how to get to heaven from here, but Christ does. And that's what we're doing. We're not just joined to the family. We're not just a part of the family. We are sharing everything with the family. Name one thing that Jesus Christ is holding back from you in your obedience, in your faith, in his tenderness, in his compassion. And so that's what our continued conversation is through verse two. As we can see is that as we put on the the righteousness of Jesus Christ, there's an expectation and a direction, right? So we're forging ahead by sharing in our walk with Christ. Look at back at verse two. I just want to highlight some things on the screen for you too, if you want to look up. It says that make my joy complete by being like-minded. So we have to share a mind with the Lord. We have to share the same love and, and be in one spirit and a one mind. These are all commandments. These are not suggestions like speed limit signs or stop signs. These are real deal commandments that you live by. You have to follow these commandments. Paul puts it this way, and I'm going to translate it just a little bit for you. Have the same approach as Jesus Christ, right? Have the same approach. The reason why I say that is because I always struggled back in the 90s. It's real big. They had the WWJD bracelets. Remember they handled that? Then what would Jesus do? And as a young man, I was like a teenager. I was like, well, I don't know what Jesus would do. One day he said to a person, go home and you'll be healed. 
And they're like, oh, that's awesome. And they went, went home. And the other day, he spit in the ground and wiped clay on a guy. He's like, am I supposed to figure out how to do it? I don't know what Jesus would do. Sometimes it was cool and sometimes it was gross, but it worked. But I always like say, you know, let's step away from that. Let's not try to figure out what Jesus would do, but we know his heart for people. And we know what his progress would be towards that person. Think about Zacchaeus when he climbed up in the tree. He was a tax collector. He was hated by his brother and he's hated by his nation because he was ripping off other Jews. But Jesus walked up to him and said, hey, let's go have lunch. I really like tuna on rye. Let's go to your house. You're making it. But we're going to go and have a great conversation about God's heart. That I can do. I can have the same approach as the Lord. I know that God has a heart for the lost. I know that when people are sick, to lay hands and pray for them. I don't, I don't know what else to do, but I know that's God's heart. So that's, let's align our approach. It's not about being perfect like Jesus, but it's approaching things like him. We have to have the same love as Jesus Christ. We're going to get a little interactive right now. Let me just say this. How do you, as, a, as an audience, you individually, how do you define the love of Jesus Christ? Just shout it out. Anybody want to say, how do you define love? What's that? Forgiven? Oh, freely given. Yeah, it's, God, it's Christ freely given. There's no conditions on it, right? He's given it to everybody. Anybody else? I think it's so all-encompassing that we can't even get our mind to Right, it's deep, it's rich, yes. Patience, is God's love patient? Joy, did somebody say joy? Kindness, what? Unconditional, right? You hear all these things. If you have received this definition, because it's one thing to read about Jesus' love in the Bible, it's another for it to be manifest and made true in your heart because you didn't just read it, you experienced it. Then in that particular case, if you have experienced it, then you can give it. But if you've never received it, you have nothing that you can give. So that the challenge isn't there is like, if you don't know Christ's love, get to know it. If you have Christ's love, start giving it. Same here, it says, united in the same spirit as Christ. I just want to encourage you this way. Christ, his ministry did not begin until he obediently went down to John the Baptist and got baptized. And in doing so, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then he stepped into ministry. And the first thing that happened to him in ministry is he went into the desert and did battle with Satan, right? Like they had a, a mental chess battle. And what did he do? He went in with the Spirit. The Spirit led him in there and he challenged the devil with the word, right? So if Jesus Christ needs the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit before we step into ministry? And I'm not talking about ministry here at church. I'm talking about everywhere you go. I'm talking about the ministry of marriage, the ministry of work, the ministry of family, ministry of anything that you are facing. Every part of your life is touched by the Lord, and it is a ministry. I will say this as a pastor, because you're like, well, duh, Joey, you're a pastor, and Jesus signs your paychecks, and you have to come to work every time. <laughs> but I will say this. I never come up here unless the Holy Spirit is here. I never come even remotely close to writing a sermon until I lay my hands on the word and say, Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, God, what sermon do you want to write? Because it can't be about me. And the reason why it can't be about me, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share some fruit with you. There's so many times after a service, somebody will come up to me and go, that was a great word. And this is the reason why it was a great word. And it's something over here like maybe something with their marriage. And somebody's like, oh, I just went to the doctor and I just got a bad report. This was the message for me. And then they come in. Two different people. I have no idea who these people were in, in their story and their walk before they came up and shared with me. But the Holy Spirit knew. I'm not smart enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not clever enough to write a sermon for everyone. But Jesus Christ is. 
And the Holy Spirit is operating that way. And so we can't take that, that mindset of, oh, maybe I can do it. No, I can't do it. I can't do this without Jesus Christ. But that doesn't just apply to the pulpit. That applies everywhere you go. You need to be filled with the Spirit to step into your marriage, into parenting, into anything. Well, then it brings us to our fourth point, to be of the same goal and the purpose of Christ. The same goal and purpose of Christ. As much as I need to have the same approach, I need to have the same purpose and goal. And what's the purpose and goal of Christ? We know to go forth, baptize people, make converts, right? How does that take place? By being filled with the Spirit and approaching the lost. All I need to know is that if somebody's lost, I know where to point them. It's not hard. I don't have to have a degree in theology. I just point them to the God that I know. That's it. Well, what do you do as a Christian? I go to church. You want to come with me? We gather together as the assembly of saints and the Holy Spirit ministers to all of us. Can I, can I encourage you to be a part of my community? That's the goal of Jesus Christ. Did he not come down and make community everywhere he went? And we can't help but be changed. The moment our story collides with Jesus' story, we can't help but our story to be woven into his. He's so magnificent. He's so wonderful. He's so powerful. Our story automatically changes. And so what these words are saying, university, unity, is to be united to the spirit of the Lord, as you see on the screen. These are commandments. We are to be spiritually one. There's a Greek word that kind of pops out if you're into that kind of thing, simpsychos, which actually means to be united in spirit. The commandment is actually for your spirit and God's spirit to be connected in one. Another translation would be harmonious in soul. Isn't that a nice way of saying it? Is your, is your soul in harmony with the Lord? It's, it's to say this, is that we are all unique individuals, but we're brought together by one common purpose and we're joined at the soul. That's how close we are. Are you joined at the soul to God's soul today? I hope so, yes, amen. Somebody said that with conviction. <laughs> amen, let's get out of here. I would say the word harmony might be better uh, used if you're struggling with your, with your relationship. You're like, maybe you don't feel close to God, but let me ask you this. If you're in harmony, but you are tuning into God's soul. Because sometimes you can come in this room and like, I see somebody else and they're worshiping and their hands raised and I have a bad attitude and I'm wrestling with God and me and God are having it out. But are you tuning into God's soul? Don't look at things at perfection and don't compare yourself to anybody else. Compare yourself to your relationship with Jesus Christ as he's reaching in. Are you receiving what he's saying? And it's such a beautiful thing to say, I can reach identity in this way. I don't have to be perfect, but my soul is in harmony with the Lord. I'll put this in this way. How different would your life be? How different would every moment of your life be if you were in harmony with the Lord? And that's how you know where you need work in tuning in. It's because you're letting the Lord lead. You're letting the Lord guide. Now, the first four commandments that uh, Paul gave us were very positive. They were very uplifting. Tuning into God, having the same mindset. But now he's going to come with a fifth commandment of unity, and this is going to be kind of like a warning command. It's going to be a little bit more negative. Join me in verse 3. It says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And so even though it is a negative commandment in verse 3, meaning like don't do, you know, versus do, don't do. The opposite might be still there, but it's true of the same heart, right? Don't pursue anything in selfish ambition or conceit, even though it says this, that's saying, get rid of your pride, destroy your pride. And you know what the pride killer is? Humility. 
humbleness. Look at the rest of verse three. Rather in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of the interests are of the others. And so initially Paul is bringing us four positive encouragements, but now he brings that negative one, which is have the same humility as Christ. But all of these verses, if you can see on the screen, I put that fifth commandment there. All five are necessary ingredients to bring unity through humility. We need, the big one is, we need to remove our selfish ambition. We need to remove the self at the center of our life because it doesn't make sense for the God of heaven to be the center of the universe but not the center of our life. We need to love others with the love of the Lord, but we have to reach to and aspire to the love that he has, not our own level. Because that's why God is destroying puffed up attitudes. That's why God is destroying prideful uh, ambitions inside of the church. Why? Because they're unity destroyers. If I am self-righteous, if I am prideful, if I look at me and say, hey, I'm okay, then guess what? I'll never receive the diagnosis. If I walk into the uh, doctor's office and he says, hey, we got to give you a whole brand new heart. (laughs) No, that's okay. You're wrong. Save it for somebody else. Have a great day, doc. How long am I going to last before the truth hits? It doesn't matter what I think the diagnosis is. It matters what the truth is, right? And that's what we're operating. Humility is what's operating in the truth. We can't have a higher opinion of ourselves if the diagnosis is lower. And so we must not raise our personal importance to a place that it doesn't belong because it's not true. Look at verse three again. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. None of that is a unifier. Pride does not unify you with God. Pride, you tell God, I'm actually a better God than you are. Because in pride, you would say this, you know, God, I know you're zigging, but I'm zagging. And that's why the Lord says, you need to bring in the pride killer. You can't even look around the church. You can't look around the world and go, at least I'm not them. Because how much of our self-righteousness is gonna get us into heaven? How many times are people gonna walk into heaven and be like, have you seen my resume? Angels play the highlight reel for Jesus. I think you're gonna be very impressed. Take a seat. Is that gonna work? No, the only reason that we are going to get to heaven is because Christ lowered himself from heaven, took down our sin and our shame and put it on himself and exchanged with us his righteous robes. So the only thing that I can boast in is in Jesus. The only thing I can have pride in is Christ's love. And so therefore I can't look down on anybody else because everybody here needs Jesus just as much as I do and I need him just as much as you do. That's it. C.S. Lewis has a wonderful statement. It says this. As a proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. You know, pride doubts the truth because it's not looking for the truth. Pride doesn't like the truth because it doesn't favor itself. But humility honors the truth in spite of itself. That's what true humility is. It's saying, your way, Lord, not my way. And humility is such an interesting word today, isn't it? Like, it's, it's like a word that we struggle with. And it even sounds negative in this room, in, in the context. In Paul's day, it was a rough word too. They always honored the person that was over the top about themselves, right? Uh, they were all interested in the people like, you know, today, even, even now, we have like the bad boys of comedy. They do it their way. The bad boys of rock and roll. Why? Because they forged ahead in their own way and they set their own rules. But then by like clockwork, don't we always wait for the fall? 
Or like, oh, they're just blazing a trail and then they burned out. And we're like, well, that's the way it goes. But that's not what God's plan was for us. And, and he's not looking for you to look at the other way. Humility is not a word for us to have like a low self-esteem. It's not to look in the mirror and have a self-esteem issue and say, hey, I don't like that person or be weak in character. The only thing that humility says is for you to look in the mirror and say, I'm going to behave this way. I'm not God. I'm not God in my life. That's it. That's the truth of it. And so therefore, humility is equated to strength here. Sometimes we can look at it as like lowly and meekly and weakly, but actually it's to say, if I lower myself from pride, I'll be higher in God's hand than I could ever be standing on my own. Just think about this. Standing on my own, how high will I reach? Yet in God's hand, I've been raised to heavenly places. And so for me to stand on my own is to say, God, I don't need you, thank you, but no thank you, but to submit and surrender myself to God and to be raised to heavenly places is to say that your plan was always better than my plan. And look where I will be now in Colossians. I will be seated at the right hand of the Father. No one is going to reach the right hand of the Father in their own self-righteousness. They will reach it in their humility, though. And that's why we have to acknowledge the truth of the situation, right? He's above, he is father, I am the child, I'm below, but I am held securely in that position by the father. This is the work that has begun in us. Humility is the work of love. I love you, God. It's not that I just have to say to myself, look at this jerk in the mirror, I hate this guy. No, it's to look in the mirror and say, I am loved by God, the creator of heaven and earth, the, the, the most high, the, the king of heaven. What I'm actually doing is I'm, moving out of the way so his love can begin its work. That's what humility is. 1 John 4.11 would say it this way. You can see the humility is bound to sacrificial love. It says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Since God so loved us. You see that word so? How much is in that word so? How much has God so loved you? And now you ought to love one another. You know, God is described in 1 John chapter 4, he is, he is love. He's the embodiment of love. He is the very definition of love, of love. And Christ's humbleness comes from that love. Just think about it. Christ left heaven for you out of love. So his service and his sacrificial love is born out of his need to be in relationship with you so that we can experience that love. Think about this. Love doesn't feel superior to anybody. Love doesn't have an ambition to approve anything. Love lifts up. The entire, we went through the book of John just recently. The entire time we went through the book of John, did Jesus lord his power or position over anybody? When he walked this earth, did he at any point lord uh, how superior he was? Did he try to prove anything to anybody? No, he just loved them right where they're at. Remember the lady who was caught with the sin of adultery, right? And he said, to anybody who's there, you without, the, you know, without sin, cast the first stone. And they all dropped their stones and they left. But what did he turn and say to her? Now go and sin no more. Why? Because that sacrificial love is to lift up. He was lifting her up. Your old lifestyle isn't your new lifestyle. You've been set free, but I'm going to lift you up to walk and talk like a child of God. And so my value doesn't come from the world. My value doesn't come from my situation or my circumstances. My value comes from the Jesus Christ that went up on the cross and died for me. Buried my sins is now resurrected and has called me a new creation. So words don't hurt. It's Christ's love that directs, right? And so I, I let myself be led by that love. That's why we don't need to, like I was saying before in our esteem, we don't need to think more of ourselves 
and we don't need to think less of ourselves, like in humility. We just need to think of ourselves less. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's about us decreasing so we can increase the Lord in our life. It's about getting out of the way of what I want and seeing what God wants. And how many times has what God wants superseded anything you've ever wanted in hindsight? You're like, in the time, in the moment, you might have been wrestling. But in retrospect, you look back and you go, man, God, you're amazing. Your plan moved me. It moved my family. It moved the situation. And now I'm more in love with you than I've ever been. Even though I wrestled with you the whole way, that was the work of getting you off of your pride and moving you into humility. And that's what we should have that comfort as we look at those verses that we just read. In humility, we're not lower than we just thought. We're just higher in humility because of where Christ brings us. Remember, we're in the grasp of the Lord. We sometimes forget that. Now look at verse 5 through 11. This is how, how Paul unpacks what the effect of humility is, and that's where we're working today. Look at verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Some of your translations might say he emptied him of himself. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. You know what's incredible about this? This is Jesus Christ. He is the second person in the Trinity. As we can understand this, you have three and one and one and three, right? He is God, right? He is God, but he's the second part of the Trinity. He could have landed on earth and said, I am God, worship me. But that's not what God the Father asked him to do, did it? He said, I want to bring great unity between the people that I've lost. I want to bring them back. And so what I want you to do is, first, I want you to show them salvation. But second, I want you to show them how to live. And the way that they need to learn how to live is to be God-centered. So Jesus Christ... King, you know, Prince of Peace, the Son of God, left heaven to come down here to put on human skin, walk in our mess, walk in this dusty world, walk and leave. You know heaven smells like snickerdoodles. You know it's set to 72 degrees. No sweat when you walk to your car on a golden street, right? No, none of that, no humidity. Just, and he was like, no, Lord, if you ask me to go, I will be God-centered, which is weird to say because it is Christ, but he's also Christ the man. And you know what he did? He said, I want to be God-centered, and so I'm being God-centered. It allowed him to put others first. If he put himself first, it's hard for you to put other people first, right? And so this humility and humbleness is staggering, isn't it? To step from the throne of heaven, but look at the privilege, what he did. He exchanged the privilege of not suffering for suffering. Think of how many times he was denied. Think of how many times he was disrespected. The creator of heaven and earth, the word of the Lord. To think that somebody would grab his beard and spit him and hit him in the face. And yet he did this, why? Because on addition to taking on his humanity, he took on the role of a servant. If God, Jesus Christ, needed the Holy Spirit to do ministry, and Jesus Christ is modeling for us in the nature of a servant, how much more do we have to be a servant? We have to work at it to achieve the unity of family with God. And I'll tell you this, if we bring our pride into church, we will bring a division into this church. If we bring pride into our marriages, we'll bring a division. Because if there's two people with pride, guess what? They're going to have a collision. Have you ever been in an argument with two people with pride? It's the worst. One person has to bring grace. One person has to bring servanthood. One person has to bring lowliness for there to be a unity again, right? For there to be a softness, for there to be a tenderness. Aren't you so glad that Jesus Christ took on the form of a servant 
took on the tenderness, that us in our pride, us in our rebellion, us in our selfishness, that it was Jesus Christ who made the first move as a lowly servant. And that is what that loving humility brought to us. We've achieved unity in the family of God through Jesus Christ. Now look, look what it brought Jesus though, verse eight. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. But there's no period there, there's a dash. Look what it says next, even death on a cross. It might be lost in us in that, in that word, but you can look at the cross and know that it's, if you've ever seen The Passion of the Christ, that movie, you know how brutal it is. But it doesn't say he didn't just come here and die for us. It said he died the death, a shameful death, a sinner's death, but also the most painful death. It's kind of a point to you that servanthood isn't easy because love is not convenient, is it? Love wrecks your plans. Love is messy. And why is it messy? Because people are messy. I'm messy. You're messy. That's why Jesus had to come down there. And interesting that God would show us that love was going to hurt. But it's going to be worth it. Because for his inheritance, for the, the joy set before him, the Bible says, the joy that was set before Christ, he endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before him? Look around the room right now all the brothers and sisters in Christ that would come through his obedience. The only reason that Jesus Christ endured the cross is because he saw you on the other side of it. And so for that, he would say, I will bring sacrificial love. First, I'll be obedient to God, but now I'll be a servant to my brothers and sisters. We are called to give God our life and give our life away because sacrificial love is what brings unity. That's what the obedience that we're seeing right there, all the way to the cross. And so it brings us to this point. To humble myself before God is to receive this truth. You are God and I am not. You are God and I am not. This is what it means to be in true brokenness. Sometimes people misuse that word brokenness. You know, like a broken or contrite heart is where the Lord works, you know. That word brokenness isn't like somebody who's had like a good cry and look ugly in their face and, and just beating their chest and down on the floor. It's to say this is, it's kind of like breaking a horse. Does anybody watch anytime like on a, on a movie or on a TV show where a horse whisperer comes into the corral, right? And there's that horse. And why does that horse need to be broken? Because he's skittish, he's afraid. He's not just rebellious. He's, he doesn't understand what's going on. And then what does that horse whisperer do? Does he beat him? Does he shock him? No, he just stands before him and whispers to him, whispers, whispers. And eventually that horse heart calms down, calms down, calms down to the point that now he's locked in with the horse whisperer. And then I love this point when, because I watch these documentaries and stuff, I love when the horse whisperer is now watch this and he turns and the horse goes, whoa, 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 where are you going? Where are you? I, wanna, I wanna go with you. Wherever you're going, I wanna go with you because we're, and I've heard the one horse whisperer say this, he said, we're one in spirit. How many times has Christ come to you with chastisement? How many times has Christ won you over with punishment? Or has he come to you with a gentle word and said, it's time to put away your pride? It's time to stop being afraid. It's time to stop operating in doubt and it's time to start trusting me. You understand that I am God and you are not. Empty yourself and receive my direction. You see, that's what Christ modeled for us all the way to the cross. He was not self-seeking. He was not self-serving. And we can't sit here before God and go, maybe he's egotistical. That's why he needs to draw us all into him so that we can worship him. You know, it wasn't very comfortable on the cross. That wasn't very self-seeking. For the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. And you know, if Christ didn't go to the cross, then our world is no better and we have no hope. 
Tomorrow, there's nothing to look forward to. There's just us. And think about this. This is the, the humility that Christ showed. I want to move out of the way so God's love can work. If Christ can lower himself from the beauty of heaven, can you lower yourself from the ugliness of your pride? That's where the real work is happening in the scripture. We have two things and two things alone that we bring to our relationship with God. We can either bring our humble, our humble obedience or our prideful sin. And that's it. The only thing that we can add to our relationship to God is, hey, Lord, here's my obedience or here's my pride. And really, if you think about it, there is only one thing that is blocking you from having a deeper and richer relationship with God. There's only one thing that's blocking you from being in complete and total harmony with God. And what is that? My value either comes from Christ or my value comes from me. That's it. I love God more than I love myself. Anybody who's ever fallen in love with anybody knows that when you put that other person above you, everything goes towards them. It's not just a pedestal, it's sacrificial love. It's compromise, it's change. It's working towards a better together, right? This is why you can think about this particular moment. Lucifer stood in heaven as an angel. And the Bible describes him as one of the most beautiful angels. He had an esteemed position. It wasn't like he was like the lowest angel on the rung. He was like one of the top angels. And in fact, it says that he led choirs, right? He led worship. He was beautiful, gorgeous to look at. And yet he looked at God and he said, I think I should be worshiped like him, a created being. Who of us would, if we were there that day, the day, first day that he did that, would be like, tap him on the shoulder like, hey, dude, uh, not for nothing, but that's the dumbest move of all the dumbest moves in the history of dumb moves, just so you know. To stand before an infinite God, the creator of heaven and earth, you're a created being. He had to make you. And yet you're gonna stand before him and say, somewhere along the line, I deserve to be worshiped by you. That's not true. That's absolutely not true. You You don't warrant any kind of worship like that. And yet Christ would be standing right next to God. And he would be the exalted prince of heaven, the prince of peace. And he would say to God, Lord, if you need to empty me of me so that I could go down and serve and give sacrificial love, I will lower myself before you and I will gain all the people in this room if that's what you want because your plan is better than anything else. And Lucifer placed his passion and all of his pride above God. Sometimes in our pride, we don't realize this, but we like to move our throne above God. How many times can we actually say that that's gonna work, let alone be worthy? Now, I want you to see how the virtues of humility are played out when you lower yourself before God. What does God do for you? Verse nine. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name and that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and every... And in heaven and on earth and under earth, so that's everybody. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. And so you understand that what the Lord is showing us is that Jesus modeled a loving humility that is exalted by God. I would rather be exalted by God than by man. And this is the place where the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the place where the work is done when we get a high five from the Lord when he says this, we are lifted by God once we take ourselves down. Lucifer fell from heaven because he exalted himself. Jesus Christ was raised to heaven because he lowered himself. If Jesus Christ has to lower himself before God, how much more do we? 
Understand this, that God did not raise up Lucifer and he won't raise up you and a false perception of yourself because God will not honor anything that is not true and there is no truth apart from him. God said, let there be light. Did light respond? That's the truth. God said, let there be life in a dead body. Did the, life, did the body of Jesus Christ respond? Absolutely. God is the truth. He is the maker of everything that we have. And the only reason that he exalts those that truly humble him is because we are now operating in truth. He is God and I am not, but I am a child of God. And I will be led by the Lord. I want you to see how humility is exampled by Jesus Christ in this parable. I love how Jesus lays this out. Luke 18, chapter 10, uh, sorry, 18, verse 10, verse 14, look up on the screen. It says, and two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. I just want to set the scene. I don't know how, the, how close he was, but can you imagine if somebody was praying next to you like this? God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, greedy and unrighteousness and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Can you imagine somebody going, and even like Joey. I'm like, what? Dude, I'm just trying to go to church. Look at this, verse 12. Look at, look, look at how many times he uses the word I. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Now I want you to hear the tax collector's prayer. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, meaning you, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now look how Jesus applies the parable. Verse 14. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the Pharisee came to God with his self-righteousness in his pride. He said, I'm righteous enough, Lord, acknowledge me. But that's not good enough for the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ had to come and die for that Pharisee. But it's the tax collector who placed everything in submission to the Lord. You are God and I am not. Lord, please just have mercy on me. If you can't put God number one in your life, you will never put anybody else first. Because of everybody in your life, only God deserves to be number one in your life. You know, I think about this so much. This is the funniest story I've ever heard walking around in Sebastian. There was a kid walking out of a store and he was followed by his dad and his mom and he had a brownie in his hand and he was just absorbing that brownie across his face, right? He's just just rubbing it. And the dad's like trying to wipe it off and the mom is just so angry and she's just got a person. She's like, I told you this would happen. And, blah, blah, blah. and I'll just remember, uh, the kid was like, mom, don't I look beautiful with this brownie in my face? This is this little tiny kid. And the mom said, you have the face that a mama moose can only love. And I knew at that moment, mom was done with him. And nobody gives up on you. Not mom, I mean, like everybody else gives up on you, but mom, right? Mom never, mom's the last line of defense of love. And if mom's getting up on you, you're the worst, right? But has Jesus Christ ever given up on you? Does he not deserve top billing in your life? Has he not always been there? Has he not always been forgiving? Has he not always been compassionate? Hasn't he always been wise? And hasn't he instructed you in the way that he'd go? This scripture says on the screen that we just read is that you're saying to God, I and better at my life than you are. If I cannot humble myself, I am better at doing life than you are God. I'm better in my own strength. I'm better in my own weakness. I'm better in my own wisdom. I'm better than my own uh, foolishness. Is that true? Absolutely not. My life apart from God is what? Nothing. 
nothing. And so it's important to us to stand before the Lord. And I want you to think about that tax collector. True humility showed up in his way this way. He was quiet in his heart before the Lord because he trusted all of his circumstances to the peace and the promises of the Lord. He just gave it all to the Lord. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's what the Lord is doing. He's deflating inflated egos and he's raising up humility. Why? Because how much of us is going to remain that silly on this? How much of our ego, how much of our pride is gonna make it to heaven, is gonna make it to eternity? None of it. None of it's gonna matter. The only thing that's gonna ring true forever is our relationship with the Lord, the place that we worked alongside the Lord, the place that we gave out love and compassion, the place where we worked in forgiveness and we, and we gave kindness to strangers and all of the things that Jesus Christ did, right? Those are the fruits that are gonna remain forever. And that's what the Lord is saying. I want to bring inside of you a great heart of love like mine, but I can't do it if you're not low, if you're not obedient, if you're not in humility. And you know why? Because humility is born out of sacrificial love. Look at this verse, and we're gonna close on this one. It says, a new command I give you, John 13. Love one another. Mind you, remember, not a suggestion, a command. Love one another. As I have loved you, how has Christ loved you? So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another... So let me read it again. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That is the symbol that we will show the world, is that we carry the love of Jesus Christ. If we carry the grace of Jesus Christ, how are you doing in sacrificial love today? How are you doing with humility? This is the litmus test. You know, I think of my life this way. When I'm me-centered, it's a wreck. You know, I, I like to use this as an example. You know, when you think of the world, right, you think of the galaxies, our world is revolving around the sun, right? And so everything that we have pretty much on Earth is basically we owe to the sun in, in, a, in this particular way. If the sun isn't there, we have no light. Can't see. If we have no sun, we have no warmth. We have nothing to live by. We have nothing to grow. We have nothing to feel comfortable. If we have no sun, the earth itself as an orb is just floating out to space, ready to crash, right? But everything is held in place by the sun. How much of your life is held in place by Jesus Christ? You owe Christ everything. I wrote this at the top of my Devo, and I want to let you know what kind of a bad day I had. I was having a bad day this week. How do I know? I'm about to teach on pride and humility. And just so you know, before any pastor gets up in here, the Lord tests that pastor in the passage that he's doing. So pride and humility, I was stuck home with the kids. Jackie was out. And I was trying to yell at the kids. I was arguing with God, and I was cooking chicken. I'm going to tell you this. It's a sad story. As I'm yelling at the kids, I'm trying to put pants on at the same time, arguing with God. I put both, pant, both legs in the same hole of the pant. <laughs> And then I smell the chicken in the oven and it's burning and I'm like yelling at the kids, yelling at God. And I took a step and I went face first into the closet. And I looked up at heaven and I said, God, wise. And he goes, hey, you know, of the two of us, I'm the only one that didn't trip over my pants and burn the chicken. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right, Lord. You're right. I just need to trust you. I need to relax. I need to get out of your way. I put this at the top of my diva that day. Is God in your way or is he your way? You know, for the word, for the proud today, is God is terribly scary and dangerous, isn't he? Think of Jonah. When he rebelled and was prideful before the Lord, where did he end up? Belly of a whale. But a word to the humble. At the bottom of the belly of the whale, when Jonah humbled himself before the Lord, what did he say? Lord, it's your way, not my way. He was terribly safe. 
Today, you can get out of God's way and let his love work. But you have to put your pride down and you have to let him lead. You have to let him whisper his promises and his truth to your heart and then you have to follow. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna bow our heads and we're gonna close our eyes. And we're gonna have an opportunity to take this moment and say, God, your way, not my way. Lord, I I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that you've pursued me. And I thank you that you have, even in my pride, hunted me down with your love. And you've captured me with your mercy and your kindness. And I am yours. But I need help. I need to remove the pride that is in me. I need to remove the blocks, the doubts, the fear. And I need you to raise me up in great service and humility to you. So that I can look more like your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I just acknowledge this today. You showed me compassion on the cross and you showed me your power and your resurrection. Please work in my heart today. Remove in me anything that gets in the way of our relationship. Destroy the barriers between you and I. Make me see how good you are. I can only do this if I surrender and yield my life to you. And so right now I can make that confession. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my hurts. I surrender my pain. I surrender my self-righteousness. I give it all to you and say, Lord, not my way, but your way, for it's the best way. I love you, and I know you love me. Sacrificial, unconditional love. You have blessed me so. In Jesus' holy name, amen.